Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm joined around the table with Jeff Bucknam. Yes, I am here. And Andy Steiger. Present. Good to see you, Andy. And uh, Good to be seen, Daniel. It is good. Man. And you got a bright shirt on today. Feeling good. Feeling good. It's kind of an October-y shirt. Mm. It's got a, it is. It's it's like a looks like a tree changing colors shirt. It's got some black and some a little bit of red on it. Is that it's red or nice. is that orange? I don't know. Oh. Under these lights, it's like a reddish orange, kind of like an autumn tree. Yeah, makes me feel good. Kind of like an autumn tree, the autumn leaves. We had a, a vortex this morning. Power went out at my place. Man, there was some serious wind kicking up this morning. Mm. I was worried about my tree fort in the back. It's in you those built- moments that I question my craftsmanship. Andy, you built your own tree fort. Well, I mean, I say your own. It's uh, it's for the children. Supposedly for the children. Yeah, I did. And uh, it's still standing. I uh, it's, it's made it through a number of windstorms now. You're you're a carpentry guy. You're a I like to build. I like to tinker. You're a true Jesus follower. It's true. The the whole uh, carpenter thing. No, I like to tinker, man. I don't know about you. Tell me, Jeff. No, you you don't know about me. No, I know you don't don't like like to tinker. Don't no. But uh, I find that each pastor needs to have an outlet. Mm. You got to you got to somehow go build or destroy something. I guess. What do you do? Uh, I I invest my kids in in my in my kids' sports far too much. Yeah, it's not much of an outlet because they lose. <laughs> do you get to do some screaming though? Like you can let the yeah, energy. I find out. I find it difficult actually. Yeah, because uh, never really pays off. It is hard to see your kid uh, lose, though. Uh, you'll get used to it, Andy. Yeah, or maybe you won't. I always wonder about those who who have kids who win all the time. I think, wow, that must be what what, what would that be like? It's not that my kids aren't good at <laughs> good at the sports; they're great at it. It's just they're Bucknums, which. Which requires a certain amount of losing. <laughs> it has a Seattle name tag associated to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, gentlemen, we have switched positions that we usually sit on. Usually Jeff's to my right, but now Jeff's across the table. In, uh, and this is intentional, Andy, because, uh, Jeff, we want to we do some, uh, some live podcast discipline with you right now. It's not church discipline, but this is podcast discipline mm. in the sense that uh, on Sunday... During your sermon, it's an intervention. And uh, during your sermon, you told the entire congregation, I don't know how many times you told it, that uh, that you'd be preaching next week. And that was a that was a two faced lie, Jeff. And uh, we're calling you to sure some is. podcast repentance. Um, what I, say you? I I acknowledge the untruth. Mm. But the untruth is that uh, the untruth is that I'm preaching next week at Northview. I said in the end of my sermon that I was really excited because I come, come back next week because uh, I will be preaching on Romans 7, 13 to 25, which is one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament in terms of interpretation and understanding. It's actually one of the more misquoted and misunderstood passages in all the Bible. I haven't seen you that excited, by the way. And I love since it. Since the time you found that candy bar. Yeah, I, I, I love that passage. <laughs> I wrote my master's degree on it. I was, I was really thrilled about it, okay? I wrote a master's thesis on it. So, yeah, and I just kind of you said all that what I did. The window. And I genuinely thought that this following week I was preaching at the Abbotsford campus of Northview on that text. I happened to be preaching on that text the following week. Not this coming weekend, but the weekend after at the Abbotsford campus. And so the timing of it was a 
an untruth. So you'd an say you unintentional fabrication. I'm actually uh, scheduled to preach at the tri- at the Tri City Church Plant this weekend uh-huh. on uh, Philippians chapter two, and at the Abbotsford campus we have the International Justice Mission weekend. Um, Ezra will be preaching on that text though, Romans seven thirteen to twenty five up at the Mission campus this weekend. But I'm going to have to do some study with him first so that he gets it right. Is that understood? That's understood. understood. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So yeah, it. <clears throat> I agree with you. And your confrontation of me is is spot on, absolutely. And was this helpful to you, Jeff? Yeah, it was very helpful. I've, I, I, uh, it's funny th- that I didn't realize that I had made this error until Sunday evening when I was. You, sometimes you go home and whatever, and you have you're sitting there, and and I, my stomach stomach sank immediately. I was like, oh no, now how am I going to explain <laughs> that timing thing and. Some guy's going to show up, I'm here for the controversy, and then it's going to be International Justice Mission. They're like, what? That's so, just good branding right there, Jeff. It's uh, like you, you set up IJM for a, a big week. Well, yeah, if people wanted to come back and hear me talk about it. Well, that's but, brilliant, though. But listen, so he, here's the corrected version. <clears throat> Not this weekend, but the following weekend, I'm very excited about talking about Romans 7, 13, and 25. And you will be, and we look forward to it. And Andy, in your hand, I mean, you are back. You are a traveling man these days. Back from Scotland. I mean, have you spent any time in Canada? Have you spent I any have, time at I have. young on. adults doing your job? I have, actually. I've been there for everyone. P.S. But by the way, Daniel's been in my stead preaching it and doing a great job. Uh, I was uh, working on my Ph.D. out there in Aberdeen. Aberdeen. And while I was out there, I went to the Did store. Did you have some haggis? <laughs> which, by the way, they pronounce... Haggis. Haggis. Did actually, you eat the haggis? I actually had a waitress laugh out loud this year. Because you said haggis. Because I ordered haggis, yeah. So while I was gone, though, I bought something for you, Jeff, something quite special. Uh, there Is it haggis? In Scotland. I wish I could bring you back some Is haggis. that a kilt? Uh, that I would not bring you. It's, uh, a, skirt, it's a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the drink of Scotland is Iron Brew. And yes. I brought you some Iron Brew that that I fig- I brought actually a, uh, my what? unicorn mug so that you could drink Iron Brew out of. But this is unicorn your unicorn mug. mug. But I get to drink the Iron Brew in the. It's Iron Brew. I R N B R U. Iron Brew. That's exactly how they say it. By Brood the way, when you order it. Scotland. <laughs> Wait, you can actually order that at uh, dinner. Yeah, at every restaurant, that really? that is the go-to. On this tap. is not on tap. I'll have the brew, please. I'm reading the, the uh, I'm reading the ingredients, and it says there's no fat, no saturates, and like all sugar. It's thirty percent sugar. That's what this is. That's what the Scots live on. Thirty <clears> percent <throat> sugar, and that nothing else. Why That's you, amazing. Why don't you give that a go and tell us uh, what you think? What do you course, think? Of Iron do, you, do I? Do you want me to drink it out of yeah. the? Uh, or you could actually you could drink it out. of I'm the going straight bottle. out of the bottle. That makes sense. That's the way the Irish do it. Wait a minute. <laughs> Is that Scottish, Irish? doesn't really matter. They're it's all the same. probably a mix of both, actually. Wow, that smells like bubblegum. Right, it, sm- it smells like a bubblegum soda, is what I'm saying. Here he goes. He's sipping. Heads back. It's like a Coke commercial. It's bubblegum soda. That's what I say. It's actually not bad. But it, isn't it a little bit weird when you envision bagpipes and kilts and bubblegum soda with haggis. It just doesn't seem to go together. Oh, there's a lot of sugar in that. <laughs> wow. That is a remarkable... Um, yeah. Woo! <laughs> <clears throat> Come on now. That's good stuff. Would you order that? That right there is some iron brew. 
when I ordered that the first time, I thought this is going to be the thickest beer I've ever seen. It's not. It's a. It's, it's bubblegum soda. It's got an orangey uh, look to it. It's better. It's better than most of the sodas around here, especially the sugary ones. Mm. I like it a lot. Jeff, do you think we could? Uh, I think we could import some of that in before between services, and uh, in, as you're sitting there after you've just preached, you could have that and be drinking that. Woo! <laughs> really Jeff is ready sweet. to take fight. No, it's really sweet. You uh, want to try some? Oh yeah, I want to. I love here, hold on. We'll put it in this so you don't have to. We'll put. It. Okay, here you go. All right. We spit, Daniel's going to have the listeners love this segment. The listeners love it's, this. Uh, he's segment. taking a drink out of the. Uh, it's all fizz. He's taking a drink out of the uh, unicorn cup. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, one of the manliest things you can do. Jeff. See what it tastes? It tastes like. I can't uh, even get it. He's all fizz. Drink an iron brew out of a unicorn mug that tastes like bubble gum. Oh, that's so good. Living the dream. That is so good. This is good radio. This is uh, live tasting. Andy, thanks for that. You're welcome, guys. Guys, the next thing I want to talk about is this. Um, I think that we need to do a better job at branding this podcast. In the sense that... It's all about uh, the branding. It's all about the branding. We are out, Greg Harris yesterday, was. Uh, he sent me a photo. He said, last night, as of uh, 10 p.m., on religion and spirituality podcasts in North America, we were ranked 126. Now, or maybe that's Canada. Now we're not even on the list. We've dropped in a matter of hours. <laughs> I hey, thought, man, it, <laughs> you told me when I came on this podcast that this was a massive, massive... And I, when you came on this podcast, I said this is a top 125 pop ca- podcast. Yeah. And now, hmm, and now it's not, Daniel. Yeah, I guess we're 126 so. and now hmm. no longer... 125. So, gentlemen, what do, I mean, what do we do? How do we get this back up? Do we, like, how do we, what is Northview culture? I think the Iron how Brew, we, I think the Iron Brew segment is going to put us over the top. <laughs> do you think so? I do. <laughs> I think, I think. What is Northview culture? Yeah, tell us Northview culture. If, okay, so if you're going to tell people they come for the first time yeah. to church, what is Northview culture? Okay, so this actually is a very good question that you just asked me because yeah. uh, we have gone so, through a process over the last couple of years. Where we, and by we, I mean the elders and some in the leadership of the church, have tried to identify what are the kind of unique things that are a little bit different about about Northview. And there are those kinds of things that they call, you know, in the business world, brand promises. Meaning, like, what if you come to Northview? What kinds of things can you expect? And so, stuff like that for us would be like we we take a lot of time to try to do uh, our programs with a level of excellence. Um, we are very careful to make sure that. Like we cover this, some of the safety issues, like your children and all that kind of stuff. We think about lots of those sorts of things. We really committed to preaching the word in all of our areas of ministry, right? It's just part of our 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 just ministry paradigm. That so those those are the kind of like what makes you know, North you North you in that regard. But our culture is what you're asking about. That's what I'm asking. And our culture as a church is uh, we we have identified three pieces that are. Um, True of us. One is that we uh, we like to call it um, humility. One of you has a cell phone that's just buzzing all the time. Is that what that's? Yeah. Oh, you um, gotta get away from here. The um, we 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 like to talk about hum- humility, which is our way of saying that our, our church has a has a has a cynical sort of little sarcastic bit as you can tell by even our podcast some people we listen to us we don't take ourselves too seriously no we, we take we, this podcast seriously we put it else. in the positive sense that it's we we value humility which is this which which is us basically saying look the nothing 
nobody has a right to not laugh at themselves at some point or another. We all make errors and, and mistakes. And, and so even though we try to do things with excellence and whatever, we're not a, we're not a television program that's like, it has to have everything, all our ducks in a row all the time in order to present some, some perfect picture to everybody in the world. Right. So that we value humility. We value, um, we value, um, kind of reduplicating ourselves, growing ourselves and others, meaning that we, we tend to focus on leadership development a lot. Can I jump in there? Yep. It's one of the things I love about Northview, uh, and my time being here is the thought that has put into developing leaders and seeing these leaders multiply throughout, uh, churches across, uh, not only our area, but, but Canada and, Seeing that actually been taking taking place over the last number of years is mm. something I'm incredibly proud of to be a part of here at Northeast. Yeah, we count it as a win when we see some a, a pastor from our church leave. I know that doesn't sound nice, you know what I mean? But if they're mm-hmm. going off to be a part of another church where they're going to take uh, hopefully some, some things that they learned here or grew here in t- to believe, and they go into those other churches, we see that as a real positive thing, right? And so yeah. one of our elders actually is going to be a, uh, Jason is his name. He's going to be a pastor at a church in Chilliwack. Well, one of the pastors at a church in Chilliwack. And so we think this is awesome. What a cool way for us to have an influence, we hope, in the life of Jason and now hopefully the life of this other church through Jason, ultimately. So we, we actually think that there, are, there could be a renewal in the church in Canada mm-hmm. through this kind of um, thing. And so we have a pastoral interns on our on our property here who are doing master's degree. Daniel's one of them. He's doing his master of divinity degree while he's here. Um, and we have inter- an intern program. And anyway, all of our pastors are looking to train other people, lay leaders and others. And we're trying to constantly think about how we can do better leadership development. The last piece is we, I, we try to tell people that we're, uh, we, we want to double the master's money, which is a line that comes from the parable of the talents. Um, and we mean by that, that look, we, the time is short. Jesus is returning. We want to be found faithful in using the gifts he's given us to multiply his kingdom through it. So if that, if that means that we kind of walk with a forward tilt or a, you know what I mean? Like we're kind of assertive regarding how we're not in a holding pattern. We do ministry or things like that. We're pretty uh, ruthless when it comes to our assessments of the ministries that we're currently running. We won't just hold on to doing something just because we've always done it. Um, We're, the, anyway, so th- those are the things that kind of talk a little bit about our, our culture and the things that we, I usually tell people. If you don't agree with those sorts of things or if they don't kind of resonate with you, you might find that Northview is a struggle for you at points, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you just kind of need to understand them. There's not They're not right or wrong. They're just kind of what our culture is. Yeah. Andy, would you add anything else to that, <laughs> particularly with young adults? Well, yeah. One of the things that I also uh, appreciate about what we do and, and an emphasis that we have is we understand that not everyone that we invest into is going to be a pastor. No. But we know that those that we're investing into are someday going to be leaders in the church in a variety of fashions. And so we, you know, even the way we run our internship, that's our desire is we want to see you be a fruitful part of growing the kingdom of God in whatever aspect that aspect that looks like. Right. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, I'm I, Consider it a blessing to be able to be, I guess, a part of that. And I'm right in the front. You, you guess? Lines of that. Are you guessing? You guess that you're part of it? Yeah, I think so. Sometimes I think I it's kind of evident at this point, don't you know? You're definitely you part of it, Daniel. I think it is, yeah. Do you have a key? I, I do have a key. Okay, so there I it is. I have a fob. But I don't have a. <laughs> there's one room I can't get into. 
There's more than one room, Daniel, that There's you can't get into. Rooms. We have secret. We have secret rooms around the church that are like no no pastoral intern rooms, right? <laughs> yes. They've got sharp objects and stuff in them. We don't want you to hurt yourself. Yes, Jeff. Sorry for asking, Jeff. <laughs> hey, I want to move on and talk about something else here. As we've been uh, working through this idea with, we've been talking about a lot about the law, a lot about grace and the law, and how do we understand? Why are this, we doing? Because we're in Romans. Because we're in Romans. Yeah. <clears throat> Romans six and seven. Yeah. And so, the, what the whole chapter six has been uh, free from, like free from the law. Now you're part of you're under grace. Yeah. And law land, grace land. Why yes. don't you use that distinction back and forth? Yeah. So, what do we do about certain things? Because I've been thinking about this question myself as well. Is the law the Ten Commandments? Okay, I'm going to say, yep. is that okay if I call it the law? Well, the, the, the talk about the ten. Yeah, we just need to clarify what Romans six and seven is referring to when it talks about the law. It is, it's usually capitalized because it means the Mosaic law, the law that was handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai that is summarized in the Ten Commandments, yes. Great. But we're talking the whole thing. Yeah. He means the law. Although there's a debate, just so you know, there's a debate on the Book of Romans regarding what works of the law refer to. Okay? Would that refer so to the law? So this is the difference between what's called the the traditional Lutheran, Lutheran perspective on Romans and the new perspective. And the new perspective would argue that works of the law have to do with what we call Jewish boundary markers, as yes. opposed to, uh, so when Paul is using the language, uh, you won't be saved by doing works of the law. No one will be justified by doing works of the law. What he's saying, according to that view, is you no know, one will be saved by their Jewishness. And the boundary markers that mark Jew- Jewishness have to do with uh, circumcision and food laws and things like that. The distinction that some would make would be a, the distinction between moral laws and uh, ritual laws. Yeah, that's a little bit more reformed take on it. But yeah, like there's a big debate on on Romans and stuff. I actually I, I hold a, I hold a, what I call a modified Lutheran approach to to it. I actually think that uh, the the reformers were pretty spot on in their understanding of of Romans. As I've studied, I think that new perspective adds adds a bit to it. It adds some understanding about Jew and Gentile relations, but I don't think that's the major note that Paul is trying to trying to strike as he goes through the book. I actually think that justification by faith has to do with someone's, how one is found righteous before a holy God. Where Anyway, if you're, if you're listening to me right now and you're into that kind of discussion, which is a scholarly d- debate, you'll understand the language I'm using. Others are like, huh? I don't, so don't worry about it too much. It's not, it's not a massive deal. Uh, although some would argue that, that it kind of is. But... Um, I, I approach this thinking that the law is a summary, whenever it says that, the law, that language, is a summary of the Mosaic law. The Mosaic Ten. Y- yes. Well, the, yeah, summarized in the Ten Commandments. Uh-huh. So my question then from there is, to what extent do we still interact with those? In yeah. the sense that, uh-huh. are they still, like, do we even consider yeah. them? Or are they just like a past, like, it's good to look back on them and yeah. think about them, but does it matter anymore? Like, should we only pay attention to Jesus' commandments? Yeah, so this is a huge uh, theological debate and yeah. has been for years. And I'd like you, Andy, jump in too. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, I actually think that you need to take you need to take seriously uh, a passage like uh, Romans ten four. I think it's ten four that Christ is the end of the law. The Greek word there is telos. He is he is the goal. He is the the end mm-hmm. of the law. And I I think what we have in Christ is a fulfillment of the law. Not so that we go and go and keep the law in its ceremonial commands, but I think Christ has, has given us 
a law. Like Galatians six two says that we should follow the law of Christ. And so in Matthew twenty two, Jesus says that the entirety of the law is summed up in these two commands. The first one, love God, and the second one, love your neighbors yourself. Right. And even in Matthew five, Jesus will go to the extent to say that that not a jot or tittle of the law, which is a these those are references to little marks you make on Jewish letters. Okay, so even the smallest little marks on Jewish le- on sorry Hebrew letters, in iota. Yeah, so not a jot or a tittle. These little pieces um, will will go away from the law until it's all fulfilled. I think I think the point though is that Jesus did fulfill it. That's the, that's the idea. So when you read the Mosaic Law. We, we say you're not under that law in the sense that Jesus has delivered you from it because he has fulfilled it. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So oh, what do we do then with the laws like you shall not murder? Is that still in effect? Well, yeah, it is because Jesus uh, reasserts most of the moral law. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, w- I would say all, all of the moral Nature, the nature of the moral law in the Old Testament. I think the only one that we would Sabbath would be yeah. one, the one that yeah, I that was think my, the wanted to go next. So, with the Sabbath, then uh-huh. are we supposed to keep that holy? If we don't, are we now not in line with God? Are we no, going I, against Him? I don't think that we're we're urged to keep the Sabbath holy in the sense that the 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 Jews in the first century understood that. I don't think that that's a requirement, mostly because what you read about uh, Jesus and what He did on the Sabbath. I think the principle. Behind the Sabbath is great. Absolutely. It's a principle of rest and trust in the Lord. But if you are working on a Sunday, I don't think that you're sinning. Mm-hmm. I, because Christ fulfilled the law, and I, in some cases, he, he, his, his law now supersedes. So, so we've been freed from the Mosaic law, but we live under the law of Christ. And this is kind of, in Romans 6, you kind of get this image a little bit, right? You're not, you're not under the law, but under grace. But what does grace mean? Well, you're under... You're you're a, a slave now to God, in Christ, right? And again, like in Galatians six, you get the language of, you know, so fulfill the law of Christ. Or we could say the which law is of love, love your brother. Yeah. And by the way, one of the ways that I've teased that out, or the way I understand that, is this then is a law that I'm not doing because it's going to make me righteous, but I'm doing because I have been made righteous. Right. Which is, um, yeah. There, there's a debate. I mean, certainly uh, the the law, okay, in the Old Testament was given to a, to a saved people. Do you understand? So they had been delivered from Egypt across the Red Sea, and then they were given the law. And so the law was an ex- was was a th- a thing that expressed God's uh, character, and you were meant to keep it um, because you were. A saved people because it was what you what you yeah a mark of what they were unable to do that and therefore they were unable to live. And it's interesting, by the way, when you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, that the first uh, three, I believe it is, first three or four, uh, is all about your relationship with God. And it's it's significant to me that once you I I, I the way I look at that too is once you break relationship with God once you once you your view of God is distorted. Your view of people will be distorted, and you you see that the rest of these laws will will follow. You will break these laws when you break relationship with God, and it's significant that we have a correct view of God, especially if people are made in the image of God. If I'm going to have a correct view of people, and if I'm going to keep those laws, right. and we want to, I mean, I, you shall have no other gods before you is the first commandment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that that's still 
in effect. Absolutely. Because in the New Testament, what you find is lots and lots of um, condemnation of idolatry. So th- there's a reiteration of that law. I think that Jesus basically assumes most most of the moral law and in his teaching, except places where he has changed it. So you get, for example, you get the the Sabbath law, which I th- I think that we have, or some of the food laws, which just happens. You remember Pentecost, where sorry, when Peter gets the vision, right, and mm-hmm. all the sheet is there, and they eat all the food. So you see them being delivered from the food laws in that regard. So there's kind of a there's a change. There's some some things are that were considered racially impure or not anymore. We wouldn't call that the moral law. We call that ceremonial law. And so, so the way that many people will, uh, make this, um, argument will say, look, there's, there's a moral and a ceremonial and a, oh, help me. There's a moral aspect of the law, the ceremonial aspect of the law and the, oh, anyway, but they divide it into three parts. The third part is driving me crazy. I, I know it. It's just in my head. And stuck there like many other things, Daniel. Like that, because the iron brew, man, gets it's stuck the, up there. The iron brew is causing me trouble. You need to get some popcorn chicken. Yeah. Get those but don't you them. find that compelling? So hold on. I, I, what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is that you, the argument among many Reformed folks, or when I Reformed, I mean Protestant, I mean, is that, look, the moral law is still in effect, but the ceremonial aspects of the law are, are fulfilled in Christ. Like don't mix fibers. Yeah, or stuff like that. Circumcision? Yes. Yeah. So that's a ceremonial well, one? Yeah. I would say so. It's yeah. Although you see the, the, the distinction there, I mean baptism many many would have argued if especially if you're in the reformed tradition you'd argue that baptism has has replaced circumcision which is the whole debate around baptism. Mm-hmm. Sorry if this sounds a little bit convoluted. My main point here is that I believe that Jesus has fulfilled the law. I think that's the whole point of most of the New Testament, and, and then he has he has freed us now to serve him and the law of love that he establishes. So that's my shorthand of what I believe is answering the question that you you posed, Daniel. Yeah, Andy, I was just going to say one of the things that people need to understand, and Jeff brought this out beautifully in his sermon this Sunday, is that it's not like. God's just giving out all these laws because God is just all about rules. There's a, there was a purpose to the law. The law uh, was, and, and, and you were talking about this even in your sermon, that there were, we could say actually there's different aspects of the law, but the, the completion of the law, it was to bring you back into relationship with God, which wasn't happening because of the brokenness of humanity and Jesus accomplished in our place. Uh, so that... It's not like there's all these rules out there because God just wants you to follow a bunch of rules, but God wants you to flourish. God yeah. wants you to experience the fullness of life. And really, these are these are markers of danger for you, of of not experience. You know, if you go this path, you're not going to. Well, experience he's a good the father, right? Good good fathers, good mothers. They they will make rules for their children that will protect their children from danger. They, they that will cause their kids to flourish. I say to my ki- my kids, don't run out into the street. When the you know when cars are coming, you look both ways. Those sorts of things. Those are rules. Those are laws of my home. You know, thou shalt not look run out in the street without looking both ways. I'm not doing that because I'm a jerk to my kids and want to ruin their running fun. I'm doing that because I know the dangers that exist in the street if they don't look both ways. And so, a, a good father will protect his kids from harm. So when God gives these laws, even though you and I look, look back at, for example, the Old Testament, some of the laws in Leviticus, we think, well, I was just so outdated and dumb. Why would God ever give any laws like that? This is this cultural wind these days. 
it's because God actually has a heart for his people and he, he, he understands the human, human beings and he wants them mm-hmm. to flourish. He knows what's going to cause them to flourish, especially in the settings that he, that he's addressing them in at the time. So he, he's causing them to flourish. And so he's giving them those laws for their flourishing. This is a, this was one of my points in the sermon this weekend was that I look, I really do think that this is one of the real areas of culturally that uh, Christians are being heavily influenced by the wider society to, to look we're almost embarrassed by the, by the Bible and by what yeah. God has commanded us to do or believe. We are like, well, no, nah, that stuff doesn't really lead to the good, true, beautiful life. Uh, the culture's view leads to the good, true, beautiful life, which by the way is, is patently and demonstrably, meaning that I can, I can demonstrate, you know, objectively that that's not true. That mm-hmm. when I, that, that's not true, that their way of thinking is leading to, so let's just take sexual ethics. Okay. People, people are dying in the world. They're not living long and prospering because they're following culture, sexual ethics. They're, they're dying earlier deaths because of it. They're, they're, you know, we have sexually transmitted diseases where ages runs rampant. There's all sorts of things that are going on that would be solved by God following God's ethics mm-hmm. when it comes to this. And so like you have, obs- I know the culture at large is trying to argue as hard as they can, that that's not the case. No, 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 no. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just telling you that the, that the promise of freedom that the culture is giving by pushing away God's law and embracing, you know, their, their perceived freedom from it, that, that is, that is, a, that freedom is a lie because in the end it's going to lead, it leads to your death, which is Paul's argument in the end that God, God's law leads to life. The problem is you you don't keep it. Isn't that the isn't that the real issue? Is that before you'll break the law, you will question the lawgiver. Yeah, I think the reason that we break God's law is because we have a faulty view of Him as the lawgiver. I was trying to make that point this weekend. You know, if, if some lady is yelling at me to stay off the lawn, and I don't know her, I mean, there's a real likelihood that I'm just going to jump on that lawn. Well, and but I think if about my Adam wife says it. It's different, right? Because I know the character. I know the character of the one who's making the request. And it's interesting, right? When you look at Adam and Eve, how they, Eve particularly, how she's processing whether you know whether or not to follow God's law or not, and whether you know did God really say that? And then starting to twist God's words, leading leading to the place where Adam and Eve are now questioning the goodness of God. Hmm. Yes, yeah. and they do question the goodness of God. <laughs> So, so would you say then? It's um, a really good point, though, Andy. I mean, like, to the core of sin, right? Yeah, he's essentially believing that God is. It's, it's all sin is theological, right? It's like it's basically saying God is not who he who he actually is. God is good. The serpent comes along and says, "Are you sure he's good? Because mm. if he was good, he wouldn't make this rule, these rules." And she buys it and says, "You're right. He wouldn't be. You know, he's mean and he's making rules for us because he's trying to keep us from something." And so they take the apple and they eat. How did that turn out? Really well. No, in the end, it doesn't turn out well at all because God knows better. The serpent's a liar, and you and I keep buying it over and over and over and, and over again. When you say, in some ways, that the Bible is really a history lesson of Adam and Eve's decision to yeah. rebel against God, yeah, yeah, and it happens. The book of Genesis, actually, if you ever study it and just take the whole book as a whole, it's like the devolution of human human beings. You know, it start mm-hmm. it starts with this sin, and then you see the ripple effects move out from there to the point if even you get in late Genesis, uh, you get brothers killing each other, just like Cain did with Abel, but you get brothers basically offing, um, offing Joseph and you get, uh, stories about, you know, uh, uh, rape within families and stuff. It's just good lot. And just what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Like it's just a mess. The whole thing's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. 
didn't turn out quite like they had planned. Yeah. And that's the that's the point. God's law is intended for our good, and the breaking of it ruins the world. Yeah. The problem is that you and I can't fix the very wor- world because we might agree, oh, we're going to go back and we're going to keep God's law because the fi- we, we realize, yes, it's good. We're going to keep it. So when we go and try to keep it, what happens? We fail. Well, there's something inside of us that stops us yeah. from doing it. That's my point. Exactly. And I, that's what Paul's point is. It's not the law's fault. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Yeah. Something inside of you stopping you. Which, by the way, just as a precursor, should give you an understanding then about what Romans 7, 13 to 25 is. Paul's going to give you like a vivid first-person image of what that looks like, right? When sin stops you by you, and that's the question we're going to end up asking, is this, is he referring to himself as a Christian? Is he referring to himself as someone who's right. not a Christian? Like, what what is he referring to? And then when is he, when is he talking about? This when does this happen in Romans seven thirteen to twenty five and and but but the point that he's making throughout is it's not it's it's the fault of sin in your members, right? Members meaning the body the parts of your body, right? So you might want to obey God's law, but you you can't you can't do it, and you need you need to be freed from it. So when when does that freedom happen? Is the question, okay? And oh, what what will bring the freedom? Are Christians free from uh, from the ownership of sin that's being described in Romans seven? Can I throw something out to you? But and, you know, this is something you're going to deal with in your sermon. You know, feel free to take a pass on this. But you know, how do you deal with like even the whole holiness movement and different theologies that think that a fullness of sanctification can be achieved yeah. in this life? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that the, the, those, those holiness movements <clears throat> oftentimes have a special view of Romans 7. And what they'll say is Romans 7 is the sub-Christian. It's, the, it's, it's, a, it's a description of a Christian. Okay, So when Paul writes, I, don't, I can't do what I want to do and I don't do. This is the, these are the verses we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, a holiness movement will say uh, that this is a description of the Christian who is not uh, living the fullest life, meaning that they're carnal. So they'll separate people into carnal and spiritual. And what they'll say is the Romans 7 experience that's being described here is the carnal Christian. Romans 8, which talks about life in the spirit, and that kind of, that's the spiritual Christian. And so you need to move in your Christian life from carnal to spiritual. So they're arguing there's two different kinds of Christians. There's like a low level one and a high level one. And once you reach the highest level, John Wesley and many of his followers followers argued in a kind of a Christian perfection. And what he meant by that is like a perfection of love. I could always love, I could love perfectly. I had friends, in fact, I don't know if you guys ever had friends who say I haven't sinned for like a month or weeks. I had one guy tell me one time, a dear friend of mine said, Jeff, I haven't sinned for weeks. I said, until now. Yeah, no kidding. Because right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a lie. But, but that's the viewpoint that many hold. Uh, on that passage and what has been taught in lots and lots of churches. That's what I wrote my master's thesis about was actually the streams of thought that were teaching that particular doctrine. And so you're asking me what I thought about it. I, th- I think that's wrong, but I, al- I also think that it's wrong for us to understand the other kind of typically reformed view, which is, oh, uh, you know, Romans 7 is a description of a Christian, but it's it's normal. This is what a normal Christian experiences, this, this failure and this... Uh, I, you know, I don't do what I want to do. I try to do, but I don't know what was me. I'm only going to ever be delivered when it, when Jesus returns, which all of that might be true, but I don't think that's what Romans seven is talking about. Mm-hmm. So to give away my viewpoint, even before I get there, even for those of you who are listening, even before IJM weekend, yeah. 
So <laughs> to give away the viewpoint, the one that I'm going to argue for in a couple of weeks. Jeff can't uh, help himself. I, no, it's, I'm arguing that Paul's talking about himself as what we call a representative Jew. I think that he's basically saying this is what happens. This is what it looks like when the law comes upon a, a Jewish person like me, me meaning Paul, uh, and, and the internal frustration that takes place. It's, a, it's, a, it's an extended illustration, basically trying to say, look, I love God's law with all my mind, meaning that I'm a Jewish person, and you can read Psalm 119 to see how much we love it, we Jews. But every time I try to keep it, there's something in me that just stops it. So even though I, I want to do it, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, woe is me. Who will rescue me from the body of this? So who's going to rescue you? Well, Jesus is, and he did. And that's why in Romans 8, 1, you get language like, there is now no condemnation. Well, what does now mean? Well, now as a believer, there's no con- condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So properly said, I think that Romans 7, the end of Romans 7 is about an unbeliever, specifically a Jewish unbeliever and the, and the experience that a Jewish unbeliever has under the law. And that's basically what Romans seven thirteen. the question, that's what it's raising. So it's trying to answer that question. Which would make sense of why Paul was adamantly opposed to the Judaizers. Yes, absolutely. So I will say this, that I, so there are some contextual clues to my viewpoint that are so clear that it is, it, it, it is once you see them, it is hard to unsee them. Like it's it it the reason I love doing it as a master's thesis and I love showing it to people is because they when they see it they're like oh oh I see what he's doing there it's good stuff man and I see what you're doing but you're there. not gonna they give that hook and no kind of throw in they're not gonna, gonna give you those that now are you so I give you the answer you have to come to find out why I oh, hold the man. answer it's like at the end of the sh- end of the heist movie where you see yeah it all play out. It'll be interesting. A different kind of sermon for me, right? Because I've taught I've taught it in classes and stuff before. So I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to do Bible study with us. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna give probably three or four reasons why it is that I think this is the right answer. I'll give you the options, and I'm gonna give you the three or four reasons why it is that I believe the option that I have, and then I'll give you the implications for what those options what what that means. Can you uh, for this sermon introduce yourself as Doctor? Oh, dude, you Jeff better Buckman. you better Can believe you, I am. Cause. You know, if you walk out, <laughs> Jeff, if you walked out with a monocle. <laughs> I think like Colonel Clink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you wore a monocle and you had the, maybe you went full suit. Yeah, man. Like a professor uh, or in a, a bow tie, an or bow tie. You know what? I might actually don the suit for this just so that I can try to win the day. Seems fitting. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, hear yeah. you. Oh, I love it. Or not? <laughs> I love it. I don't know if I own a suit. I don't think I own a Andy suit. And he has a suit. He looks great. You should get a suit. I think yeah. I do. I have I have one that I don't. I do weddings in. Very nice. Yeah, Ezra's got some suits. Dude, he's got three or four of them. Brother, Kenyon, lo- Kenyans love themselves. He some suits. looks so good in those suits. What are those guys called in Africa? Who dandies? Uh, dandies. Go look up on YouTube. Dandies. Oh, it's a dandy. Dude, it's amazing. These guys live Congo in these dandies. slums. They live in the slums, and they spend all their money on buying the most flamboyant, bright, like incredible. Uh, well suits. dressed, well suits. dressed. They look to the like. They look amazing, and they walk through these slums, and everyone just claps for them. Oh, I like it. It's amazing. Hey, can I make a request now that I think we're reaching the pinnacle of our our the apex of this yeah. program? Uh, in two weeks' time or three weeks' time, I can't remember how many weeks' time. I am supposed to be in the great province of Quebec. Nice, and uh, I'm going to be in Quebec City, 
And then Mont- Ezra and I are gonna be in Montreal for a couple of days. Okay. What are you doing? So, there? so, so, so. What's so, the name so, of the hotel so, 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 again? It was that French name. I don't know. Frontenac. <laughs> uh, so I am. I'm asking, what is it that I have to do in Quebec City or Montreal? What do I have to eat? That's a no-brainer. What do I have to visit and see? That if I come back and haven't done, people would just shake their heads and say, "Shame on you." So I, I need to know some recommendations from the six listeners that we have. Sixteen. The sixteen listeners that we have about what what is great in in Quebec, other than the people, the fine people of Quebec. What what is great there? And you know, somebody's going to say Montreal smoked meat. I don't I don't mean just the the smoked meat or the poutine. I want a place where I'm supposed to buy this poutine. <laughs> Near the hotel? Near the Fontanelle. Wow. You've ruined Quebec for me. Hmm? Just ruined I have it. French ancestry, so I'm very excited about it. <laughs> wow. This will be great. I can't wait for you to come back. Do you, have you, do you don't, neither of you have any advice on this? I was going to say poutine, but you stole it, and then you said it the way you say it. Andy, is that kill, the only French name? That's the only here. French word you probably know. So I've eaten duns, by the way. I've had duns uh, I'll have you know that I know poutine. how to say French fries, Daniel. French fries? Yeah, it's not French. Pommes frites. We were trying to, <laughs> between about four of us, we were trying to count to three in French, and I said, instead of trois, I said tres. I think that's another... If I could just throw one last thing in here, Jeff, you'll appreciate this. One of my favorite American movements that never caught on was Liberty Fries. Oh, isn't that funny? Let's just bring Freedom Fries. (laughs) Freedom. That's Freedom Fries. (laughs) Did you know that after after the fall after the uh, the World Trade Center and the the fell and the I think France condemned the U.S. doing something somewhere. And so they instead of all the restaurants changed their the name of from French fries, from French fries to Freedom Fries. In in France they did. No, or in, in America. In the US. US. Oh man, do you imagine? If We're not did, calling them no, French fries. Freedom Fries, <laughs> and then Freedom Rings, <laughs> like for onion rings. Oh, it's the best. Freedom Rings, baby. Oh, we have got to open America. our own restaurant. Oh, we could mo- we could open it in Montreal, Ooh. and we could sell stuff. And all the proceeds could go towards the podcast and getting us up the rankings. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good times. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. And make sure you send some emails our way where we have to go. We're striving for 125. Yeah, we're trying to get the top 125 and boost our listenership from 16 to 32 overnight. Uh, thanks for listening. We will see you next week. 